0: Welcome to the Chickmunks podcast, where we explore contemplative Christianity from a feminine perspective. I'm your host, Heather Lawrence. Let's get to it. Hello, hello again, Chickmunks. I have got a sermon to share with you today about prayer that was originally preached at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Encinitas, California, a couple weeks ago. And it's based on the following gospel reading. This is from Luke chapter 11. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, Chickmunks, question for you. How did you learn to pray? In this reading, Jesus just returned to his disciples after spending time away in his own personal prayer practice. And when he gets back, one of his students asks him to teach them how to pray. After all, John the Baptizer was teaching his disciples to pray in their own way. So, Jesus gives them a prayer. And it's a prayer that echoes the prayers of their Jewish tradition. Here in Luke's Gospel, we have the condensed version of a prayer that might be familiar to us. The Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer. Now, in typical Jesus form, he doesn't give this prayer as a formula to follow, or as an art to master. Instead, he follows it with a couple of parables. To add some mystery, but also help understand what kind of prayer he means to inspire. In one parable, he gives this hypothetical scenario based on their standard social expectation at the time of hospitality to travelers. This is an expectation that surely his disciples would have understood, likely from their own experience, both as travelers a couple chapters ago in this gospel and also as hosts. So he says to them, imagine this. You have an out-of-town friend show up late one night, and you have no food to offer them. So you go to your neighbor, and you knock on the door asking for help, and your very tired neighbor yells from the inside, no, go away. My kids are already asleep. I can't help you. Jesus says, even if the friendship isn't enough to pull this person out of bed to help you out, sheer persistence will get you what you need. And the story from Genesis that accompanies this gospel reading in the lectionary also gives another illustration. And for those of you who'd like to look that up, that's Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 to 32. But I'll tell you here what happens. Abraham goes head-to-head with God to defend Sodom and Gomorrah from God's judgment. You might remember that the people from Sodom and Gomorrah were condemned for their act of inhospitality. This might be different from what you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah in homophobic circles of Christianity, but I assure you that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, in fact, their act of inhospitality. When strangers showed up, they not only refused to house them and take care of them, but they treated them with violence. And so here we have Abraham talking to God about this city that couldn't host the very presence of God in strangers. And God is about to pour out His judgment on this city. And here Abraham argues with God. Okay, okay, okay. But what if I can find 50 righteous people there? Then will you relent on your judgment? And when God agrees, he lowers the stakes to 45, and then 40, and then 30, and then all the way down to 10 righteous people. 10 righteous people to save the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God agrees. Apparently, persistence is key. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. These are some of my favorite words Jesus offers his students. And that's us, too. To illuminate these words... He gives a second hypothetical situation, so if the first parable wasn't relatable, maybe this one feels a little more familiar. When your own child asks for a fish to eat, would you ever give them a snake instead? Can you even imagine a person giving their child a dangerous creature instead of the nutritious food that they asked for? And here, once again, Jesus tells us we must be like children. We must ask for our needs to be met like a child would, trusting that we are not on our own to figure things out and we are not going to get a snake when we ask for a fish. We ask in faith that there is a goodness into whose arms we can throw ourselves into a trust fall. And when we land safe in that loving embrace, when we receive what we need, we realize that the point was never just in having our daily bread or an egg to eat. The point was the relationship that was strengthened when we made ourselves vulnerable enough to ask. Ask. Seek. Knock. Bring your needs to God. Admit your limitations. Name your And When you do, your good and gracious parent will give you what you need. These parables help us to understand that the Lord's Prayer isn't a practice for getting prayer right but instead is a means of recalibrating our relationship with God. We come to the divine in prayer primarily as children in need. In need of daily sustenance, in need of forgiveness, in need of guidance. We may not be in the habit of feeling our need of God's guidance and love and provision very often. Busy lives and comfortable circumstances may have shielded us from our true dependence as God's children. I mean, who among us doesn't fall into thinking we're in control of our lives as we zip through our days in the human world? Which is why we have prayer as a practice to remind us. And which is why this prayer begins by naming God as Father. The prayer is powerful because we're confident to whom it is we pray and what our relationship is with them. And the rest of the prayer is grounded in that, that relationship as parent and child. Our Episcopal prayer book is full of prayers. There's a whole section at the end with prayers for different occasions in life, and they begin by centering some attribute of God's character. Openings like Almighty and Ever-Living God, Holy and Gracious Father, O God of Peace. Each prayer's beginning is intentional. Intentional. They're meant to direct our thoughts and our hearts toward a particular quality of God in a way that grounds our prayer in confidence. Jesus' prayer and parable use the term Father to describe the warm relationship and the confidence he wants for his disciples to have in their relationship with the divine. Personally, I used to find a lot of comfort in this paternal language for God. I have years of prayer journals addressing my prayers to some variation of Heavenly Father. But for me, those prayers were wrapped up in a constricting, patriarchal, dogmatic Christianity. And when those patriarchal walls began to cave in, I found... I couldn't find comfort or hope in a Father God anymore. It was in that season that God gave me permission to use feminine pronouns for her. Yes, I asked because I was so afraid of the slippery slope to heresy that I had been warned about for years. But with confidence, I began addressing my prayers to the feminine form of the divine. And it took almost no time to realize that the Holy Spirit is often portrayed as feminine in our tradition. It is not outlandish to have a divine feminine to whom we pray as Christians. In the Bible's original Hebrew, there are two main words that refer to what Christians call the Holy Spirit, and both are feminine. The first is ruach, which means spirit or breath. The very presence of life. And Shekinah, meaning presence of God. Not only is the Holy Spirit often feminine in our scripture, but in a tradition dating back to some of the earliest generations of the church, she has a name Wisdom. Or in Greek, Sophia. Mother God. Sophia, Wisdom. When I take a breath and utter these names out loud, I find a warmth in my heart and a groundedness in my feet and a connection to the source of life that gives me the confidence to ask for what I need from a God of abundant love to seek what I hope to find in a world full of mysteries and to knock on closed doors to believe that the miraculous is possible. May you find the name for God that brings you into the confidence and warmth of a child with her mother. Amen.